Well, good morning. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor at Southside, and it's already been a full morning, and uh, if you, you already feel full, uh, there's a good reason for that. I just was all week long, if you were around our building at all, it was just so encouraging to see all the kids and to uh, see all the adults loving them well and telling them the story uh, about the hero, Jesus, and what he's done for us. And so I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're a guest, uh, maybe you're here with a, a child who was in Bible school this week, or whatever brought you, we're glad uh, you have come to be a part of our conversation this morning. And, and really, that video sets up well what I want to talk about, because I don't know how many of you have noticed, but it's fairly obvious in culture, in the United States anyway, at least today, uh, that we're fascinated with heroes, especially superheroes. Uh, the last 10 to 15 years, every blockbuster that comes out seems to be about some new superhero, Marvel or DC, and, and how they're going to save the world and rescue the world. And, and that's not a new phenomena. I remember the very first movie I remember going to see at a drive-in theater. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody older than you. Um, <laughs> Was, was the very first Christopher Reeves Superman movie. And I was hooked then on this idea of a superhero, uh, Superman in particular. But, but it's not unique to our culture. It's not unique to our time. Really, throughout all of human history, we can look back and see how in cultures all around the world, people have always been fascinated with this idea of superheroes. Uh, they will make them up. They will make them up as fictional characters or they have a tendency to take uh, and create mythical heroes or to deify human beings and to say that they're somehow heroic or they're like a god. And it doesn't matter, again, what culture they're from, what language, or what era of history. This is just something humans do. Now, anytime you find a universal human truth, uh, it's important to consider what is the source of that universal human truth. What is it? Because it usually points to something beyond itself. And so the fact that all of us, that humans from every culture throughout all the ages have a desire to create or to find heroes tells us something really important about us. Now, if you're a Christian, if you read the Bible, you come to church much, uh, we do this with Bible characters, don't we? We call them the heroes of the faith, these Bible heroes that we look at. And maybe for you, if we were to go around the room, you'd say, you know, Moses is my hero, or Esther is my hero, or, or John, or you'd have lots of different heroes that you'd point out from the scripture with, with good cause. Now, we've been looking at a particular character from the Bible, uh, a man by the name of Paul of Sar- uh, Saul of Tarsus. He became the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is one of the greatest leaders that the church has ever known, but he didn't start out that way. He actually started out opposed to the whole idea of the movement of the gospel. He was opposed to this whole Jesus movement, and he set out to kind of eradicate it, to squelch it, to to get rid of it. And so he was going around persecuting anybody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. And then he had this encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and everything changed in an instant. And so after about 10 years, he was called to a church at Antioch, and he and his friend Barnabas were sent on this great missionary journey. And you can read the story of Paul's missionary, first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. It happened in the year uh, 47 and 48 uh, AD. Now, why that is so important, we have a little map of it up there. Uh, we're not going to look at the whole journey today. We've got a reading plan on the back of the bulletin if you want to read more specifically about it. But one of the reasons this is so important is because there 
there are documents in the Bible and outside of the Bible that show that about this time, this man named Paul began to show up at some of these Roman cities. And you can see that in other Roman historic documents. In 47, 48, it was within 20 years of the events of the New Testament, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, there were still people alive who claimed to have witnessed with their own eyes this man who had died. They'd seen him crucified, and then three days later, they saw him raised from the dead. Paul said there were about 500 of them living in Jerusalem. Many of them were still alive. Now, what that means is as the apostle Paul began to journey to all of these cities telling people this incredible story and what it meant for them, any one of them who was going to Jerusalem could have gone to ask for themselves if there was proof that this actually happened and they would have found evidence that it happened. So Paul's spreading this story all around. He goes, uh, sails over to Cyprus. You can read about that in 13. He comes back to the mainland, goes to some other cities and he ends up in a town called Lystra before ultimately going back to Antioch and the church at Antioch where he started. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 14. We're gonna look at this particular story in the city of Lystra for us because it it has a really important message I think for us today. Acts chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put these verses on the screen and if you don't own a printed Bible at home, we want you to feel free to take the one in front of you as, as our gift to you. Now, in the city of Lystra, the Apostle Paul had an encounter with some non Jews. Anybody who's not a Jew in the Bible is called a Gentile. So he encounters these Gentiles and these Gentiles try to deify Paul. They try to make him a god. They try to make him a hero. Now, Paul had gone through some really difficult things. You can read in chapter 13 and 14. And after enduring some of the hardships that Paul had endured, it would have been really tempting to take it easy in the city of Lystra and just be treated like a god. You know, he'd have been, he, could have, he could have had some people put him in a chariot and carry him around so he didn't have to walk. He would have had all the food he wanted. He could have been treated like a hero, whereas he had been treated like a criminal before. So he has this encounter with these people who try to deify him. But Paul and Barnabas, instead of letting these people worship them as gods, instead, they're going to end up being driven out of the city and nearly killed. And and why this is so important for us is because I believe this encounter helps us understand a really important truth that applies to our lives today, and that is this, that there is a universal longing inside of us to find or create a hero, and that is evidence of a universal need that no hero can meet. Every single one of us here today, at some point in your life, maybe it's now, feel like if somebody, if some hero would just step into my story right now and rescue me. If they could just step in and save my marriage, if they could just step in and help me out of this financial crisis I'm in, if some hero could just step in and fix the situation at work, whatever it might be for you, that there's always this idea that maybe there is a hero out there who will step in and rescue us. And maybe, maybe you've had an experience where there has been somebody who has stepped in and helped you. They've stepped in and rescued you. And that only feeds this idea that there are heroes in the world who can rescue us. But really, if we get to the root of it, even if we've been rescued by somebody at one instance in our life, there is still this desire that we have for some invincible hero who can save us. But the reality is there is no hero, at least not that we can find here that can do what it is our soul longs to happen. So look with me at Acts chapter 14 and let's read this story together and see 
how this principle plays out for Paul and how it applies to us. Acts 14, beginning in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. So the the miracles associated with the message of Jesus continue long past Jesus' earthly ministry. You can see it in Peter, you can see it in John, here we're seeing it in Paul. That there there were these evidence, there were these examples of times where miraculous things happened and it captured the, the attention of a city, of an entire town, and they would look at this miraculous thing that happened and suddenly they were more inclined to listen to the messenger who had come to give them the message. But listen to what happened in this town in response to what Paul had done. And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now that is a really important statement that they just made. Because ironically, that's the very message that Paul came to tell them. Paul came to tell them that, in fact, God had taken on flesh and come to live among them. In fact, that God had done that very thing, and that's the message he came to tell them. But when they saw what Paul did in healing this crippled man, they said, here he is. This is God taking on the form of man. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice uh, with the crowds. So what we see in these verses that we've looked at, first of all, is our desire for a hero. This universal desire that we have to find and cre- or create some sort of a hero. Now, in this particular town, there was a legend, uh, a legend, and we find this from other extra-biblical sources, uh, that existed where the people of this town told a story about how there was a time in history when the god Zeus had come into their city in disguise, And nobody knew that it was Zeus. And Zeus went around from house to house looking for somebody who would take him in and provide for him and feed him. And nobody in the entire city would bring Zeus in. And so Zeus left the city and left the city under a curse. And so for generations and generations, the people who lived in this town had heard this story. And they had longed for the day when Zeus would come back to their city and give them a second chance. That maybe Zeus will come back and we can show more hospitality and the curse will be lifted for our city. So when Paul and, uh, and Barnabas showed up and when they healed this man, they thought, here's our chance. This is Zeus and Hermes back in our town. Let's not make the same mistake we made before. God has taken on flesh and come to be with us. And that's exactly the message Paul came to say. But it wasn't him. He, he wasn't claiming to be God who had taken on flesh. Now, every culture has fantastic hero stories. Every culture has fantasy stories. And there's been a lot of conversations uh, among literary experts uh, in the Western culture in particular, but down through the ages, there's been this conversation about why, why do humans need to create fictional stories that are fantastic? Why can't we just make real stories Stories that could actually happen. Why do we always look for the supernatural in our good fantasy stories? Think of, the, think of your favorite stories. Think of your favorite childhood stories. There's always something fantastic or mystical happening. There's always some mythical hero that steps in. How many of you are fans of Lord of the Rings? 
or The Hobbit. Anybody, any fans out there? Just a few of you. All right, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote that. He also wrote an essay that not a lot of people know about. It's called On Fairy Stories. And J.R.R. Tolkien, in this little essay, tries to explain what it is about the human heart that desires for a fantastic story. And Tolkien says there are four basic longings of the human heart that cause us to create these stories. And here are the four of them. The first thing he says, humans always want an escape from time and death. Now think about some of your favorite fictional stories. A lot of them have to do with time. A lot of them have to do with living forever. There's this desire that we have to escape, step outside of time, and certainly to evade death. The second longing that he points to the human heart is the ability to communicate with non-human beings. And so we want to talk to the animals. We, we want to talk to the divine beings. We, we want to communicate with something that is not human. The third, the third longing he points out is that we long for a love that heals everything and will never fail or fade. Some of you are looking for that on Match.com, right? We, we want this longing. We, want this, we have this desire for this love that will fix everything and it will never itself become corrupted and it will never end. And the fourth thing that Tolkien points out is we have a longing to see the complete triumph of good over evil. We want the good guy to win in the end. We're okay if it looks bad for him somewhere in the middle of the story, but we want the good guy to win at the end of the story. Now, now here's, here's what I know is true uh, about me, and, and I assume it's true about you because I think it's true about almost all of us. Those four things are desires inside of us. There have been times in your life where you feel like there's not enough hours in the day. I, I, or there have been times in your life where you wish you could go back in time and change something. Or there have been times in your life where you've been with a loved one and you've thought, I wish I just had one more hour, one more day with that person. There have been times you've wanted to escape time. You've wanted to escape death. There have been times in your life where you have had this desire to communicate with some being that was more powerful than you. Now, if you're a Christian, you come to church, you view that as prayer. I communicate with God through prayer. But if you're not a Christian, and even if you are a Christian and sometimes have wondered, is anybody listening to me? Can anybody hear the deepest desires of my heart? I can't express this in words. Can you, can you hear me? All of us have desired a love that would fix things, that would heal what's broken inside of us, a love that would never end or a love that would never fade. We, we've, all, we've all had this desire to see victory, to see good triumph over evil, to win. But here's what is also true. We have all been disappointed when we can't see those four realities come to, come to pass, that we are bound by time. We are. That there are times where it feels like we can't actually communicate beyond our own limited ability to form words and sentences. That, that there, there, there is a love that we can find that brings some sort of satisfaction or healing, but it fades with time. I mean, if the person doesn't leave, uh, they will maybe eventually die. And so even if the love is through the, through, till death do you part, it still comes to an end at some point. It doesn't fully and finally satisfy that desire. And, and as much as we want to see good always triumph over evil, we just know if you've lived any length of time, we just know that there are so many examples when it seems like evil continues to win. But it doesn't change the fact that those are the deep desires of your heart. And here's what I believe. God has placed those desires in your heart for a reason. 
It is not that he placed them there and put you on this earth for you to live an unsatisfied, completely frustrated life. He put those inside of you to point you to something beyond this temporary existence that we can see all around us. Because he says, you know what, there is a love that completely heals and that will never fade or fail. That good will ultimately triumph over evil. That you can communicate with the one who created you, who understands all your thoughts and and everything that you're feeling and thinking, even when you don't fully understand it. See, we can have this. The problem is we keep looking for it in heroes that we create. The desire is God-given, and it is to point us beyond what we can do in our own ability to find someone else who can ultimately satisfy what nothing on this earth can satisfy. The second thing we see in this passage is the deceit of false heroes. Look with me at verse 14, the deceit of false heroes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We're just like you guys. We bleed when we're cut just like you do. We put our pants on. I guess they didn't wear pants. They wore a tunic, so I don't know. That phrase doesn't work. Of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witnesses. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and faith and faith fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Now this is a this is a really powerful set of verses. Paul is like Paul and Barnabas says, guys, we're just like you, but there is we do know what you're looking for. We, we do know somebody who can satisfy those longings that you have. And he's actually been showing himself to you all along in the rains that come and in the seasons and his faithfulness as he's fed you and provided for you. You just haven't looked beyond the veil. You haven't looked beyond the curtain to see the true hero. But we've come to tell you about that hero. Don't put your faith in these vain idols who, who are powerless to save you, who are powerless to satisfy the deep, deepest longing of your hearts. Let us tell you about the true hero. Now, I think what we find is four deceptions that we fall into when we create our own heroes. Let me share with you these, uh, these lies that we believe. First of all, when we create heroes ourselves, now they could be uh, political heroes, they could be sports figures, uh, they, they, could be, uh, they could be somebody that you look up to and respect and in the business world. All these heroes, I believe there are some lies that are associated when we create our own idols and we, we make our own heroes. The first one is, we believe that if we make a flesh and blood idol, that they will not be just like us. Now here's why that's important. Because if they are like us, then we have to answer the question, why aren't we more like them? Now think about that for just a second. When we deify somebody, when we make somebody a hero, we automatically give ourselves an excuse for all of our imperfections and shortcomings. Because I can't be expected to be like them. I can't be expected to be like the Apostle Paul. I can't be expected to be like Moses or the disciples who followed after Jesus. I mean, they're superheroes. They're heroes. This is why we sanitize Bible characters. 
why we, why we make them saints and make them white porcelain figures with gold halos and why we set apart religious leaders. Because somehow we think if we can set them apart far enough from us, it gives us an excuse why we can't be like them. Whenever we make a, an earthly hero, what we're doing is we're somehow giving ourselves an excuse for why we can't be more like them. The second deception of the heroes that we make is we believe everyone is either good or evil. Now, I, I, I could point to politics pretty quick and tell you as an example of why we think this is true, right? I mean, just think about any two candidates running against each other in, in hi, any hypothetical recent presidential election. And people believe that they, they were either a hero or a villain. The hero only did what was good and never did wrong. The villain only did what was bad and never did anything right. This is what we believe because it makes life simpler, doesn't it? If we can somehow convince ourselves that good guys are always good, that bad guys are always bad, then somehow it makes our life easier and we can, we can simplify our lives and only look to see what we're already looking for, to validate the things we are already seeking to find. We don't want our heroes to be flawed. We don't want our villains to have any redeeming qualities. See, if we can ignore a villain, even when the villain may be right, and we can overlook all the wrongs of the heroes and then use their behavior to justify our own bad behavior. Now, now listen, this has been true through history. We take our heroes and we sanitize them and we clean them up. And we fail to learn from their mistakes, which is, I think, part of what God wants us to do. Let, let me just give you an example. Jonathan Edwards, the great Baptist preacher. Many of you have read Jonathan Edwards. Maybe you've used his book as a devotional. You've heard him quoted from the pulpit. Listen, Jonathan Edwards owned slaves. It's just true. He, he owns, he enslaved other human beings even as he was preaching a gospel of freedom. John Calvin, he allowed a man to be executed because he didn't believe in infant baptism. And the man died. And not just one instance, but there are many instances where that was the case. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, wrote some of the most vile, hateful things about Jews you've ever seen written. And yet we look at Martin Luther as the great hero of the Protestant Reformation. See, when we try to take our heroes and only look at how they were good, we fail to learn that they aren't quite the hero that we think and we are satisfied to worship them or to adore them and we fail to recognize that they are not the hero that we're seeking. The rap artist Propaganda wrote a song called Precious Puritans about how the Puritans owned slaves. And in the song, he talks about how for him, how hard it is for him as an African-American to hear preachers quote Puritan pastors. And in this, in this song, he says, there were chaplains on those slave ships. And as he comes to a conclusion, here's what he says. God really does use crooked sticks to make straight lines. Aren't you glad? I mean, he uses us in spite of our flaws, in spite of our weaknesses. But when we try to deify somebody and make them something God never intended them to be, we will fail to, we will fail to see their mistakes. And so we may be tempted to stop looking for the hero our heart really needs. The third deception that we believe is we believe our idols will promise, uh, when they promise us, complete and total fulfillment. But these idols, these earthly heroes we make, they always leave us empty. And Paul calls this lie out when he says that all your idols, they are worthless. Every idol 
you ever create will ultimately leave you unfulfilled. And, and I, can, I can prove it to you. Because I just want you to think, if you've lived long enough, I just want you to think back, maybe for you it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, I don't know. But there was a point in your life where you thought, if only this, then my life would be better. If only I got the job. If only I found the spouse. If only we had a child. If only I lived in this city. And then, you know what happened? You actually got the thing you were longing for. And five or ten years later, the longing wasn't satisfied. The job came to an end. The marriage is on the rocks. The kid went through a hard time. And you experienced what it, the heartbreak of rebellion. I, I don't know what it is for you. But every idol we create ultimately leaves us unfulfilled whether it's work, intellectual pursuits, fame, sports. And here's what you need to know. Here's why this is so important. The idol that you create, the hero that you manufacture, you will become a slave to that uncaring, unforgiving God of your own making. It starts out with just a few drinks in the afternoon when you get home from work to take the edge off. And before you know it, you're a slave to the bottle. It started out just as a pursuit to have some financial security and provide for my family. And pretty soon you're consumed with greed and the the desire for more and more and more. And and, and you're not, you're not, your money's not working for you. You're, You're working for your money. I don't know what it is for you, but there are all these idols that we create and ultimately they become our slave masters. The fourth deception is we believe that we can be the hero of our own story. You see, Paul and Barnabas refused to, be mur- refused to be worshipped, even though it must have been really tempting. And, and what we see in this story is the temptation that came to Paul and Barnabas uh, to be worshipped by the people in that city is the same temptation that Satan presented to Jesus back in the desert when he was fasting for 40 days. Satan appeared to Jesus and said, you know what? If you will just bow down and worship me, then I will make sure all of them bow down and worship you. And here's what we do. When we realize that we cannot manufacture or find a hero, we will begin to assume that we can become the hero of our own story. We will try to make ourselves in the image of God and put ourselves in the place of God. It's a temptation that people throughout the Bible face. It's a temptation we face each and every day that we believe we can be the hero of our own story. And finally, I think we see in this passage a demonstration of the true hero. Look at verse 19 and 20. But Jesus came from Antioch, I'm sorry, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas and Derby. Just be careful when people try to deify you or make you a god. Because just like Jesus on Palm Sunday, they were shouting Hosanna, and on Friday they were crucifying him. Those whom the crowd would deify, they would also seek to destroy. When they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom 
they had believed. You know what, if you read that, what you find out is that Paul and Barnabas get thrown out of town. People throw stones at them until they think they're dead. They get up from that experience and they go right back in. They go right back in. And what we see in this is a demonstration of the hero, the real hero that we're looking for. Paul's selfless sacrifice was a living example of exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus humbled himself, left aside all the glories of heaven. Paul refused to be worshipped, but instead told the people he was human just like them. Jesus endured suffering rather than claiming his rights as God. And Paul refused to be proclaimed as God and instead endured torture to the point of death. God raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's life was spared so that he could continue to testify to the only true hero as he went around building the church. See, here's what you need to know today, that your longing for a hero can only be fully and finally satisfied, not in Paul, not in Paul, not in any great hero of the faith, not any preacher or teacher or politician. The hero that will satisfy the deepest longing of your heart is the same hero that Paul came to tell the people about, and that is Jesus Christ. Some of you who are here today have been disappointed by Christians and church leaders, And part of the reason you've walked away from God is because you have equated those church leaders or those Christians as heroes instead of looking past them to the real hero that they were trying to point you to. Some of you, maybe maybe your greatest disappointment, maybe your first disappointment came in the form of your parents. Our parents tend to be the first heroes we make, which explains why we're so easily disappointed by them. But some of you maybe have never gotten over that disappointed disappointment. But your parents, as good as they may have been, they were never intended to be the hero that would satisfy and meet the deepest needs of your soul and your longing. Some of you have done it with a spouse, with a boss, with a politician, and they failed you. And if they haven't failed you yet, it's just a matter of time until they do fail you because even the best of them will leave leave you wanting more. So my question as we conclude this morning is this. Are you tired of being disappointed in the heroes that you've created? Are you tired of being enslaved to the idols you formed with your own hands? And maybe for others, have you finally realized you can't be the hero of your own story? You can't change your circumstances on your own. See, the longing and the desire that you have for a hero was placed in you by God to draw you to the true hero, Jesus Christ. And all the deceits and all the disappointments of all the false heroes should only go to prove to you more and more of your need for a hero that the world cannot produce on its own. But what we see in the story today, what we see demonstrated so many times in acts of courage and kindness and valor on the part of men and women throughout church history is we see a demonstration of the real hero. We see the demonstration and the reminder of what the real hero did for us on the cross when he laid down his life to rescue us. And three days later, when God raised him from the dead. So this morning, I'm just gonna ask you, as the band comes back up, we're gonna have a time of commitment. I'm gonna invite you to stand together even now as we prepare to sing together and pray together. But as we do that, and as we pray and um, we just extend an invitation to you. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning it's just out of a sense of brokenness. 
And disappointment and discouragement with all the earthly heroes who failed, maybe you would respond and say, I'm looking for another hero. And I think I found him in Jesus. Maybe some of you are tired of being your own hero. Whatever your story is today, I just invite you to look past all the earthly signs pointing to what God has been wanting to show you all along. And that is the hero that we find in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope and the promise of the only true hero, the only one who is able to meet the deepest longings of our heart, the only one who has been able to step outside of time and eternity and to guarantee us life eternal with you, abundant life beginning here and now, the only one who has guaranteed that he would serve as our intermediary, that we could communicate with you the deepest longings of our hearts and we can't seem to communicate it any other way. The only one who has given us and proven to us a love that will heal and that will never fail and will never fade. The only one who guarantees the ultimate victory of good over evil, not just in one battle, but for all time. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our hero. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today who are desperately seeking a hero that today they might put their faith and their trust in him knowing that he is strong enough to save them. Father, we come to you at this time and we ask you to move in our hearts and we ask in the name of our hero, Jesus Christ, amen.